I'm Dr. Stephanie Munt. And I'm Dr. Ellie Summers. And this is Two Women Running Their Mouths, a podcast for women who run by women who run. Our 80-20 rule, 80% dishing, 20% running. We are back of two women running their mouths. I am not going to say our, our motto because now I'm just in my head all the time about it. So Ellie, you got it. What, it, what is a podcast for women who run by women who run. Luckily for you, Steph, that gets said in our intro anyway. So you, we could just drop it. I'll just stop want it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. We're super excited. We have our second guest today. Yay. One of my very favorite people is here with us, Renee Hodges. And Renee is, I'll say a little bit about Renee first. Renee is a physical therapist and a triathlon and running coach um, and a strength coach. She does all the things. Um, and she knows a ton about training through perimenopause and postmenopause, in addition to a lot of other things. But we brought her on specifically for that and for her expertise in that, but we, we might get into some other topics too. Um, but Renee, I'd like you to take a moment and tell us a little bit more about yourself when you started Foundation. Um, I didn't mention that. Her business is called Foundation Physical Therapy and Endurance Coaching. And just a little bit more about what led you to start your business and what you love about it and any other fun facts about you. Well, thank you both. You both are just the sweetest, kindest people uh, and you make our profession look so good. So thank you for inviting me to be on here. <laughs> and I'm just honored to be here. So uh, thanks for the awesome introduction too, Steph. Um, I am naturally, I'm just going to start with just be vulnerable number here. I'm naturally a very much an introvert and I would rather not talk publicly. So here we are. Um, <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Yeah, we're, we're just going to bring you in. It's going to be all good. <laughs> well, I, and you, you both make me feel very uh, welcome. So this is a good space to be, but um, I, yeah, so I'm a physical therapist, been practicing for 18 years now. I put somewhere 17, I missed, I don't know where I missed a year, but I missed a year somewhere. Um, I worked for other people for about 11 years before I started my own business, uh, probably because I'm an introvert and was afraid to get out there on my own. Uh, but it's been seven years now since I've had a coaching and physical therapy business, and it has been the most amazing experience uh, and the most difficult experience of my life and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Uh, so um, in some way or another, I've had the awesome opportunity to work with women in their 40s and 50s and 60s um, and really start to get an interest in perimenopause and menopause, especially since I'm now in my 40s and starting to get very curious about it from uh, an endurance sport side of things, because I want to be able to maximize my potential as everyone else does uh, later in life. So yeah, so that's me. I would, um, I would say I am a converted triathlete. So I've, I've been running for 25 years, but in 2009, I transitioned to triathlons and that is definitely the love of, I shouldn't say this out loud, but the love of my life <laughs> is <laughs> husband and my dog <laughs> you can have three <laughs> yeah you definitely can <laughs> so yeah I don't hopefully 
That was, I mean, that was great. I think that that paints a picture of who you are and what you're about. And that's what we want to hear. Um, I'm excited about it. We're excited about this topic today too, because I think there's um, probably a lack of information for most women about it. And definitely a lack of information when it comes to training specifically as well, and how training might change as we get older and what we need to be considering. But probably where we want to start is with terminology, because mm -hmm. <laughs> I still mess that up sometimes too. So um, maybe you can run us through like the terminology in phases, yeah. um, if you're comfortable with that. Of course, because that's the best way, exactly the best way to start and to understand. Um, so perimenopause, perimenopause is just that period of transition till we hit menopause. Now, when you read literature, when you read books uh, on um, menopause, they'll lump that period of time, peri and menopause as just menopause. Mm -hmm. So it can get a little, this is why it is confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so men, so traditionally perimenopause is going to be that anywhere from five, four to 10 year period of time until you hit menopause. And menopause is just one day. It's one day and it's exactly 12 months since your last menstrual cycle. And then gotcha. once you pass that one day, now you are in the postmenopausal time of your life. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's new information for me. <laughs> so, yeah, it can, it's, I think uh, when they do combine peri and menopause in the same, you know, terminology, it gets so confusing, but really yeah. it's three different periods of time with menopause just being a single day of your life. <laughs> and I think that's, that's not the common thought process behind that because people will say I'm in menopause. Yeah. Right. Um, or okay. maybe what does that mean? <laughs> right, 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 right. So there's actually three phases and menopause is just one day, yeah. which I think is a really important distinction. Yeah. And maybe we can break down why that is. Oh yeah. And, and yeah. then the interesting is there's actually three, I guess you can call them four phases of perimenopause. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the four to 10 years. So how, yeah, let's, let's yeah. make those. Yeah. So four to 10 years, I think it's important though to, so two things here, how and when we hit menopause is really related to our, highly related to genetics. So if you know when your mother or your older sisters went through menopause, then you can have, or hit menopause. I like the word hit because it's just one day. So you're going to hit that one day. When, if you know when they hit menopause, then you can have a good idea of when you're going to hit it. But if your lifestyle is completely different than theirs, then it, it may be slightly off. So if you're a lot more active than your older sisters or your mom, then it might be slightly skewed. But so I think that's important to remember. Um, the second thing that's important to remember, and we can get to, this is, this is probably a misnomer that is important for women to know, like not everyone's gonna have symptoms in perimenopause. So we hear a lot about the horrible symptoms, the hot flashes, the weight gain, and it freaks women out. You know, I think it's part of that, um, that psychological factor of this time in life that really gets women upset, but not everyone's going to have symptoms. And it really just, again, a lot to do with how did, what happened to your mom or what happened to your sister? Those are the people to talk, older sister, those are the people to talk to. Um, 
And then, uh, so then lastly, what are the phases of perimenopause? So um, the three phases, the first phase um, is where you really won't notice um, much change. So I don't even know why they define this phase, but it's, um, it's really related to a decline in progesterone. And oh, maybe we can, do you want me to go through what the hormones do, like progesterone? Yeah, I think, I think that's an important probably piece because um, that's part of the piece that makes people feel it's discombobulated. The whole, it's the whole piece because that's what's yeah. changing, right? <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, for me, once I understood what estrogen and progesterone were actually doing for me, not just from a menstrual cycle standpoint, but from a muscle, brain, metabolic, heart, immune system standpoint, then I was like, oh, okay, well now this stuff makes total sense. So, um, so just basics, like basics of estrogen versus progesterone. So I have a cheat sheet because I can't I love it. all of this stuff. Um, but estrogen uh, from a muscle, we'll go, we'll talk about what, it, what the um, hormones do from muscle, brain, bone, and then metabolic perspective. So cool. estrogen from a muscle perspective, it helps, helps you make muscle. It helps you build muscle. Um, and then it, that's again, drives some lean mass um, and it improves your ability to use your muscles. So that contractile strength of the muscle and that's estrogen. So for progesterone, when it comes to muscle, um, it decreases the contractile strength. So that's why some most women may say when they're in the latter half of their cycle, they just kind of, they don't feel like they have it or they lack their mojo a little bit. Well, maybe, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the first part of their menstrual cycle, um, that's when progesterone is the lowest. So they may feel like they just don't have as much mojo. Maybe mm -hmm. every women are different. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, progesterone increases your ligamentous tension. So it actually improves stability uh, later in the cycle. And then for the brain, um, estrogen increases serotonin and dopamine receptors in the brain, and it decreases cortisol and it improves thermoregulation. So that's an important one when it comes to the hot flashes. Yay, estrogen. Yeah, <laughs> estrogen is so huge, so important. Uh, and then progesterone, when it comes to the brain, um, it's neuroprotective or reduces anxiety. Um, and it helps to modulate pain um, or increases our pain tolerance. So progesterone, in, and remember, we just said the first phase of of perimenopause is when progesterone starts to go down. So as I'm going through uh -huh. what we know about progesterone, how it affects the body, think about what would be happen, what could happen when progesterone starts to go down during that first phase. So then if we go to bone, um, for estrogen, estrogen increases calcium absorption. So it helps to make, keep our bones strong, keeps them healthy. So imagine later in the menstrual cycle or later in perimenopause, estrogen's going down. So now we can understand why having estrogen is important for bone health. Yeah. And then in regards to progesterone and bone, it helps to decrease the urinary loss of calcium. So it helps to retain it. And then again, progesterone's going down, what's happening to our calcium loss at that point. And then lastly, for the metabolism, and this is the one that I find women are most interested in when really we should be, my bias is we should be most interested in what the muscle, brain, and bone are yeah. doing. But, but metabolically, it is important because this is related to heart disease later on. 
So um, this uh, estrogen helps to moderate glucose homeostasis, insulin and insulin sensitivity. So it really helps helps us from uh, you know a metabolic standpoint. Mm. And this is maybe why some women experience weight gain during this time, or or is it a loss of muscle mass, or is it all of the above? Um, and then progesterone, um, as far as metabolism goes, increases respiratory rate and heart rate. Um, increases our core temperature set point, and then it, it functions as a very powerful anti-inflammatory. Um, so there's your basics of what estrogen and progesterone are doing for us when we're in our pre-menopausal phase, when we, before we start <laughs> this right. wild change that's happening. So now you have a good picture of what those hormones are doing. And now let's talk about the phases. <laughs> so <laughs> phases of perimenopause. Uh, phase one is what we just talked about earlier, where, where progesterone is starting to decline. And progesterone, again, think about what it did for the muscle, bone, and uh, brain and metabolism. Um, if it's declining, you might start to get a little bit more anxiety during this period of time. Um, you, you might start to notice that you're not recovering as well. They require a little bit more sleep. Um, so the cycles aren't changing, menstrual cycles aren't changing, but you're gonna to start to notice some other physical changes. And then let me know, stop me if you have any questions. Keep going. Not making any, not making any sense. Is there an average age where that would start? So uh, research says 38 to 45. Okay. So some women it's again, uh, gonna be very early, some women it's later. Um, and we'll talk about the, the difficulty sometimes with understanding these symptoms in the early forties and how it can be attributed to something else going on too. Oh boy. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so phase two is when, um, estrogen is, uh, high, can be higher and widely fluctuating. So this is when we start to see irregular menstrual cycles and it can be irregular by seven or more days, usually on the longer side for some women on the shorter side. So this is where it gets difficult from a coaching perspective. I have several females in their late forties right now. And, you know, we, there is no, we can't do a blood test to say, yep, you're, you're transitioning, you're going into menopause. So this is, you know, we rely on them going to the doctors and confirming that they are in menopause so that we're not looking at maybe a thyroid issue here. And then we have to pull them back from training or, you know, so from a coaching perspective, it's this period of time of life is all about communication as it, coaching always is, but, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Um, and then phase three is when estrogen starts to really decline. And then that's when we start to see menstrual cycles go sometimes 60 days in length, and then eventually a full year. And then as soon as you had a full year with no menstrual cycle, you've now hit menopause, just that gotcha. one day. Gotcha. So that's, um, that's kind of the gist of perimenopause from a definition standpoint. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, there's a lot more going on, but I think the basics of that is just really, really. Yeah. Straightforward. I mean, I think it sounds like, and sometimes I'll say this to people when these things start happening, your hormones are like up and down and like kind of on this trajectory down. Yeah. 
but those fluctuations are more drastic, right? Am I right about that? Than they were maybe when you were just a menstruating adult. Yeah, they, they, everyone, I, my experience is that everyone is different. Completely different. Yeah. This is the general idea of what's happening. Some women, they, they go from barely any change to one day they're not getting their menstrual cycle for 60 days. Right. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it's very, um, it seems to be vastly different between females, but for the most part it is progesterone's going down first and then we start to see estrogen becoming very wild and then declining. Gotcha. Gotcha. What are, what would you say are some of the symptoms that you, maybe you spoke to this a little bit already, but what are some of the symptoms that folks might be noticing as they're maybe starting some of that? I'm going to use the word transition. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. It's a yeah. good word. Um, so symptoms, again, I've got a chart because there is a lot of them and they, it varies vastly between females. So um, when I list a symptom, I'm going to try to list like what phase they may experience it in, but again, that can be, can be different. Um, so urinary and bladder changes, um, tend to happen. So, uh, this would traditionally see this more in the latter half of perimenopause. So some women, if, if they're triathletes, they may come to me and say, you know what, riding the bike is now just really uncomfortable. Um, so the estrogen that supports, uh, the vulva and keeps it healthy is no longer there. And it makes that really uncomfortable. Um, or they may have increased urges of stress incontinence, and they're also at increased risk for UTIs. So that's mm -hmm. another really common one. Um, again, cause the estrogen is, is changing vastly to uh, not there to support, um, that area. Um, and then, so worsening migraines, I see, especially in the middle to latter uh, stages of perimenopause, the migraines will get worse. Um, and we, some, I've heard some say this is related to the drop in progesterone and some say to the fluctuating estrogen. So I don't know that we really know, um, but it is a symptom. Brain fog and poor concentration um, heck to the yes with that one. So that is one that I hear just about every female in, in the latter half of um, perimenopause um, speaking to this. Now, this is also a symptom of hypothyroidism. Mm. So the hypothyroidism is, is, this, is another uh, thing that we want to keep an eye on that happens along with perimenopause. And it can mimic, it mimics a lot of the same symptoms of perimenopause, but it should be treated. Um, yeah. And that's where we really want to make major changes to the athlete's training schedule, if that's what's going on. So it's kind of teasing out whether it's, we can easily do a blood test. To I was going to say, I'm assuming there's a blood test. Yeah, we can easily, yeah. definitely. Um, heart palpitations is another symptom. Uh, night sweats obviously is a, a major symptom. Uh, some people get more of a dry eye, so changes to um, the eyes, um, skin and hair and nail changes. So, which is also a symptom of thyroid issues. So, dry skin, um, itchy skin, acne, hair changes, brittle hair and nails. All of those are thyroid symptoms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, just again seeing that correlation there. 
um, weight gain, slowed, slowed metabolism, um, taste. So very rarely women will say they have a, a burning mouth sensation. Um, obviously changes to the menstrual cycle, um, mood changes, mood changes for sure. I, I, yeah. my experience is that's the early symptoms, like yeah. uncontrollable, like really irritable mood that you're like, where the heck did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, anxiety, um, just, just uncontrollable aggression, frustration, low self-esteem. I think that's one thing to really keep an eye on with females when, you know, they normally have a pretty even keel personality, pretty, pretty good. And then all of a sudden they're telling you they just don't believe in themselves anymore. Or, you know, I don't think I can do this. That's a, that's a common one. Tearfulness. Um, and then joint pains, stiffy, stiff and achy joints. Um, my, my experience is bilateral symptoms more than unilateral symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have it. I haven't looked at the research or evidence on that to really back that up. And then just tiredness and insomnia because the sleep is really affected during this time of life. So women are often very exhausted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's funny, the first thing that like comes to my head is like, yay, being a woman. <laughs> and I think that's, um, unfortunately probably the feeling of, that a lot of women have moving into this phase of their life is, um, a lot of fear around it, what it means, what it's going to be like. And quite frankly, the fact that it seems that there's not a lot of treatment, yeah. Um, and treatment is kind of a funny word to use when we're talking about a normal, like biological, physiological change that's happening. Um, but I think especially for women athletes, some things start to change and that may be something that we should talk about as well as like what in your experience maybe needs to change, or maybe how would you coach someone through adjustments to their training, um, as an endurance athlete or really any athlete. Before we move on, I want to make a quick point though. Like at yeah. this period of time seems scary. <laughs> seems like, why the hell am I a woman? Yeah. But research supports that once we hit menopause, women are happier, healthier, more engaged in life than ever. So, like butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so yes, we Love go it. through this transition and it's really sucky, but, but again, it's depending on how we interpret it. So I think having community and people around us that have been through it are going through it and we're supporting each other through it is really important, but also realizing that women that are older than us and have been through this are like happier and more excited about life and enjoying life more than they ever have. That sounds awesome. I want it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? So that, I think that's important to remember during this process that the, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. I I think that um, even just talking about it more often helps people and to hear hear it from non-threatening voices, right? Um, Women who understand, who have been there and sort of know how to like help you work through it. Um, Because it is, it it will probably change some things in your life. And that that I imagine can also mess with identity um, and challenge you, challenge you in new ways, but then open up doors and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up for me. 
Yeah. I think it's, you know, because we didn't have a lot of information on it and we still don't have a lot of information supporting it, it seemed like this really doom and gloom thing, yeah. horrible thing happening. But now there's so many resources and I was going to uh, maybe talk about this at the end, but I think uh, one of the greatest resources right now we have is this um, page called the Feisty Menopause page. Or, or Oh, yeah, Feisty. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I know Sarah, is it Sarah who runs that company? Sarah anyway. Gross. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. And then, um, Celine Yeager, uh, started, um, hit play, not pause. It's a podcast, which is phenomenal for female athletes going through perimenopause and now in postmenopause is it's a really very valuable podcast and they're putting on a athlete summit in September in Boulder. They're going to do it virtually as well. Uh, but for athletes that are interested in learning more, I think that would be a really valuable thing to participate in. But so it's now that the communities are growing, I think it's, it's just so yeah. wonderful to have the support. Yeah. I also just, I'm going to do a quick shout out. This book is sitting right in front of me, the menopause, oh, yeah. menopause manifesto by Jen Gunter. Um, I haven't read very far into it just yet. It's a brand new book, but uh, it's pretty hefty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes into a lot of detail about hi the history of menopause, and um, I'm going to butcher all the other stuff. But it is very heavy. Um, the other the other book that I that just came out this year that I got a lot of information from is called the Hormone Repair Manual. It's very it's very objective very precise with the information it puts out um and dr gunter's book is a little bit more theory and it's heavy um yeah. so it just a little a little bit longer to get through she, um, she talks a lot about the the feminist side of it as well that's what it, sorry yes that yes exactly what <laughs> yes. i was trying to say not coming out well yeah um, which i appreciate but yeah no i do too i i appreciate even even more now for sure yeah. Um, so to your question about um, what do we need to, and I think I'm paraphrasing here, what do we need to look for as athletes or what kind of changes should we expect during this time? Yeah. Um, I would say now more than ever during this time, if we haven't listened to ourselves previously, now's the time to do that. Now's the time to take a step back and really uh, be self-honest. Like, how am I feeling? What do I, what do I need today? And then um, start to keep training logs, try to keep, you know, logs of how you're feeling um, and make some serious changes around rest and recovery. And um, maybe there needs to be some, uh, a little bit more improvement on nutrition in and around training. Um, we can get away with maybe not doing all the pre during and post workout nutrition basics when we're in our thirties, but once we get to our forties, that's really, really, really important. Um, so I think just really listening to our bodies, taking the rest, um, and maybe being okay with more recovery time than ever before. Yeah. By recovery time, what does that look like? Cause I think people have different ideas of, of what that might be. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it really depends on what the athlete needs. So is it um, just a complete rest day? So more days away from any training, maybe an athlete needs that. Maybe it's um, more days to sleep in during the week. You know, uh, when I was in my thirties, I could 
get up at four o'clock every day and go work out and not be affected by it. But now I look forward to having two days a week where I can sleep in without an alarm. And it just, it like makes a huge difference in my overall mentality and uh, outlook for the week. So maybe it's just as simple as that. Like you need a day or two during a week to be able to, to sleep in until, you know, your alarm doesn't go off or when, without an alarm. Um, maybe it's adding in yoga. Maybe it's, you know, adding diverse activities into something you've never done before. Um, so just vastly different, like looking at other ways to keep your mind and body healthy, happy, recovered, and on a sustainable path. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So not well-defined. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Everyone's favorite answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I presume to, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, you know, when you're, when you're in your twenties and thirties, probably things that are happening or that you have maybe a little, maybe depending on your lifestyle, a little bit more time for these activities potentially. Um, and that leads to an, like more volume. Would we expect volume to decline? And, you know, is that also just very person dependent? What would, you know, what are your words of wisdom on there? Cause I think that for many athletes, volume is like an indicator of success in many ways it can be. And expectations might need to be adjusted, I would guess. Big, that I don't, so I was very athlete dependent. Yeah. So, I mean, it would depend to me on who, so is an athlete coming to me in their forties as a brand new athlete, wanting to take on a sport or are they now in their forties and have been doing this for 25 years? And then what does their lifestyle look like? What, right. what is their interests in the sport? What are their goals in the sport? What are their, um, what are their weakness weaknesses when it comes to being an athlete? I put that in quotation just from a, uh, you know, I don't think yeah. any major weaknesses, but what are the things that we can work on to make them to get to their goals? What are their strengths? I think the idea, that broad sweeping idea that we have to take volume away in, the, in this time of life um, is reductionist really, because if I have an athlete that comes to me in their forties or in perimenopause, they work 20 hours a week, they don't have any other commitments and they want to do an Ironman. Okay. Yeah. Got time. Let's, let's figure out a way to do it um, and keep them healthy at the same time. But right now I have a female, she's, she's 50. She's got two young kids. She owns a very busy practice and she's trying to do an Ironman. No, we are not doing heavy volume. We're figuring out a way to get her there on the least amount of volume possible while yeah. keeping her healthy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really looking at those life load factors too. And I would guess because, because perimenopause is so different for everyone, you know, it may, it may hardly register for some people and then it may really register for others. And that might shift life load and stressors in other ways. A thousand percent. Yeah. Like if you're all of a sudden not able to sleep, that's a problem for training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably for your mood, and like yeah. all sorts of other things. Yeah. yeah. Just one day of bad sleep can really affect so many things. So then we have to 
then then it's more comes down to let's have a really good talk about what your goals are and the realistic how realistic are your goals for what's happening in your life right now yeah and that's a consistent conversation yeah especially with the pandemic holy smokes yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. changed a lot of people's situations <laughs> yeah, so. yeah um I'm curious to know too, uh, if you could speak to resistance training for women as they, women in general, maybe, and women as they age and some of those benefits. Great question. So that goes back to uh, looking at what, you know, what, how estrogen affects us from a bone and muscular perspective um, as we age. So we know that we lose, so I get the exact numbers here what one to 2% annually of our muscle mass after 50. So if we're losing muscle mass, what is it that we can put into place to help us maintain or grow muscle mass? And when would be the best time to put it in place? Probably in our thirties and forties, but heavy strength training is, is very strongly supported in the literature to help maintain and build muscle mass. So heavy strength training, strength training in general. So, uh, volume, uh, high rep, Strength training can be beneficial as well. Um, and then from a bone perspective, maybe looking at adding in a little bit more plyometric training, um, uh, obviously dosed very appropriately there for the person. And then from a metabolic perspective, looking at the shift in hormones, maybe a little bit of high intensity training or a bump up in high in intensity training, depending on the indivi individual. I would say, um, when I see, when I look at my females in their forties now, I'd be curious to see if you have, both of you have the same experience with your women in their forties. I see their cadence changing, cadence declining. Um, mine's declined quite a bit actually over the last two years, which I think has probably affected my run. Not, I think, I know it has affected my run. Um, so, you know, with these women and for myself, I'm looking at adding a little bit more plyometric training just to help with that. Um, so looking at some of the metrics and how, you know, and how that's affected by the perimenopausal changes and how we can help them from a training perspective too. Um, vertical, what's their vertical oscillation looking like through their forties? Is that changing? And training peaks doesn't have the, that metric. So you have to go to Garmin <laughs> to get it. I don't look at any of that stuff. But those yeah. are my curiosities and things that I like to track with just out of, you know, curiosity for my aging females and yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think from yeah. a, I don't know if you see this, I, I don't think I have enough um, data to, to back this up, but you know, we do see more tendinopathies, tendon issues in hamstring and Achilles as we age. I don't, I'm sure that most of the research is on men, however, but do you see more tendon issues cropping up in your athletes that are in that age group and above? Yeah, um, I would say more high hamstring tendinopathies uh, tend to be in the mid, late 40s, 50s of the population that I see. Uh, posterior tibialis tendinopathy uh, tends to be pretty uh, strong, especially I see that a lot in the uh, late phase. I don't know if there's a correlation, but the females that I've seen rec recently are, are, are presenting in the later stage of perimenopause. Um, 
but yeah, most definitely high hamstring and posterior tib tendinopathies. I don't tend to see, and this could just be in my practice, but a ton of Achilles tendinopathies in females yeah. of that population. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're rare, Ellie. <laughs> yeah. So from I'm a, not I'm not in perimenopause yet, though that I that I know about. Yeah. <laughs> but from a strength training perspective, then I think you know you mentioned that too, as the kind of warding those off or or managing injuries of that nature, or even po potentially preventatively adding that into women's strength programs for hamstring work and um, calf work, which I know you do anyway, but. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's look at what's happening to these muscle groups and you know, what's the literature say, obviously I'm not, you guys all know this, but what muscles are working the most for the activities that we're doing, what's happening to our muscles and our bones and our tendons and our ligaments as we're going through this phase, how can we mitigate that in some way or another? Obviously we can't prevent anything, uh, quote unquote, but how can we reduce our risk? Yeah. Yeah. I have a question about, um, fueling. Now we know you're not a registered dietitian, but I would imagine if an athlete is maybe gaining some weight, this conversation comes up about weight gain and how you approach that from a coaching perspective with the fueling conversation. Um, cause you can be any age and be energy deficient. Uh, and so I, I imagine there's some nuance there, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I tend to, you know, I, I want to get the athletes thoughts, feelings around this, like how, how is this how much is this really affecting their behaviors? You know, are they coming, are they looking to bump up to an Ironman to help, help with reducing the weight gain? Are they looking to go to sprint triathlons to help with their speed loss um, or their weight gain? So I'm looking at the philosophy behind their decisions. And then I am referring them to speak with someone that's a lot this is their arena because um, yeah. that is definitely out of my scope of practice to, to really help them with there. But, but I'm always curious around their decisions around what's happening. And then I just educate them on, you know, what, what is, what did estrogen do from a metabolic standpoint for them previously? Okay. Well, this is what's happening. So you're not, you're not doing anything wrong here. You know, what, what are some little changes we can put in place from a strength training perspective to maybe help you, but also realize we're supposed to change our body. We're not supposed yeah. to have the same body we did when we're in our thirties, twenties and thirties into our, you know, let our years. So, um, it's, it's a lot of mindset sh shifting, thinking, reframing, and going forward with as much understanding as we can. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Did that answer your question, Elia? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> I think there's a lot of nuance there, but it, it's something I've heard in clinic before with patients even, um, you know, they come in, they're not my coaching client maybe, but they're an athlete who is probably entering into perimenopause and then speaking to some of those symptoms and they're a runner and they're saying, I'm trying to lose weight. And, you know, as a clinician, you're like, okay, there's just like something to think about there. You know, are they seeing a dietitian? You know, what's going on here? How do I, how do I engage them in thoughtful discussion around it? 
without being shamey or blamey, um, making them feel, you know, bad about their decision-making. Um, yeah. There's nothing in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel good. That, that's <laughs> what it, that's what I always tend to center on is like the feeling yeah. versus the weight. Yes. Yeah. And you know, obviously what we're looking at, what we're reading, who we're associating ourselves with, all of those affect how we perceive ourselves during this time of life. Yeah. So let's put us in a situation where we're surrounded by people who are appreciating us for who we are and the goals we have set for ourselves so that we're in the best environment possible to flourish. Yeah. And I think that's where we can have a profound impact just from a support perspective during this time of life, because right. there's a lot, obviously you guys know this so well. I mean, there's just a lot of like your great word there, shaming uh, information yeah. out there about what we sh should look like right. throughout our 40s, 50s and 60s. Right. So, so having, maybe having a coach or a person in your corner who, um, you know, is that good supportive person who, I'm, I'm going to say, make you feel good about yourself, yeah. <laughs> no matter what situation you're in at that time. Absolutely. And that takes a little work to find that right person. And it takes it a little does. work to find the, those people in our lives too. So it's energy maybe that the athlete doesn't have to expend at this point, but at least we can be that one, you know, source for them and then maybe direct them to other groups that might be helpful too. Right. Right. Do you have any more questions, Steph? Yeah, from, uh, so we talked about volume. We have one more time. We had talked about volume and how that may not change, but are there other types of, I, I think we've talked about like more high intensity interval training, how that's beneficial for this age group as far as what I think insulin sensitivity maybe was one of the benefits. So can you speak to maybe other additional types of training or things that you might consider um, in this age group that you wouldn't consider as much as in uh, normal menstruating age groups? I think we've really hit on all the things already. You know, um, I, I'm going to look at if the athlete's been training consistently for a while, I'm going to, you know, talk to them about what their training looked like previously, what their, you know, where they were as far as a performance perspective back then, where they are now, where they want to go, um, and how what are some changes that we can put in place to get them to their goals in a healthy way? So I don't have a blanket statement for that other than, yeah, maybe we want to look at incorporating a little bit more, um, you know, pickups if their cadence is dropping or uh, add, maybe we want to go to three days of strength training per week instead of one, if, you know, if they're interested in that and willing to make changes elsewhere to accommodate that. Um, so just kind of making um, shifts in where their training is going, depending on what their needs are at this time of life. So nothing specific, but more of maybe, maybe the mindset is more of just like a shift in training, depending on what their yeah. needs are. Yeah. Because it sounds like, you know, I mean, really anybody can start to make those shifts. And I always think about people go through seasons a little bit anyway, throughout a, a year. Like sometimes we might be higher load in our running and then running should go down probably a little bit at some point. Mm -hmm. And then resistance training can maybe 
fill in some of those gaps. And it sounds like a similar sort of thing. And it's just dependent on what that athlete maybe means and what they're willing to do, what they have time for access, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And would you say, you know, I'm just, this could be a silly question. Maybe it's not. Silly I try not to preface my questions with, questions. this is a dumb question. <laughs> Especially from the two of you. Love that. Um, in terms of like, I'm bang for your buck. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. I know. Silly question. Oh, Resistance that. training, running. You know, what are, what are some of like the differences in the value they add? I mean, I think we've already spoken like resistance training, um, you know, adds lean mass, which helps with estrogen levels. What's, you know, what does, what is running going to be providing? Obviously, I think we know some of like the basics of, um, you know, cardiovascular and respiratory fitness and all that stuff. But can you speak to some of those differences? So like if somebody's, you know, really struggling with, you know, mood i know it's going to be like it depends but <laughs> <laughs> would would they want to focus on one thing or another <laughs> you know but it uh, it really comes down to what makes the athlete happy what that oh good. that's beautiful <laughs> i am <answer. laughs> yeah, i mean what we can't force something on someone because of what we see research supporting to be the benefits of we can only we can only educate them on them and hope that they make you know a decision to maybe put something in their life they don't really like but might be beneficial let's get let's put a little bit more broccoli on the plate and you know there's yeah. not but uh if if strength training doesn't bring someone joy i'm not going to force that on them um if running brings them joy we're going to have a lot of conversations around okay well this is this is something that brings you a lot of joy. Do you, are you interested in looking at the long-term benefits of things that may help you continue to run into your 60s, 70s, and 80s? Okay, yeah. if you wanna run into your 60s, 70s, maybe we need to sprinkle in a little bit more of the strength training to keep your bones healthy, to keep your muscles strong, um, and just have those conversations. Cause we know yeah. running um, is not, helping our bones stay healthy. We know running, you know, it does, it, well, I don't have the research to back this up, but you know, it's not gonna keep our strength uh, forever. Um, so there's, you know, there's really just the benefits that it gives us the joy and yeah. it helps us reach goals and helps us, you know, be with friends. Mm-hmm. Whereas the string training and the high intensity training and the plyometric training, we know those have physiological benefits. Yeah. When gotcha. So, gotcha. I think that's a perfect place to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Unless you have any more questions, Steph. I don't. That's perfect. Like the joy piece is, it, I think it's just so, it's so much embodies all ages of, of, human beings and training statuses. It's like, what gives you the most fun here? What do you enjoy the most? Let's work on that and focus on that. And that the same thing holds true as we go through these phases of our lives. Um, yeah, so remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why else do something? Yeah. Physiologically, it's only gonna create harm if you're doing something that doesn't bring joy. <laughs> Why force yourself into something that's not lifting you up? 
Yes. I love that. Renee, we are so grateful for your knowledge and expertise. I'm curious if you can tell our listeners how they could reach out to you, where they can, um, I don't know, follow you, contact info. You don't have to give out, you know, private info, but. Uh, I'll just, again, I'm going to say I adore both of you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to chat with you. This was really fun. Um, But if people want to find me, I think the easiest way is probably on my website, which is foundationpt.net. And then, um, yeah, that has all my contact information there. So awesome. And you're, where are you located? I know, but tell us. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. So I am just down the street from Steph. Yeah. But as a coach, you work with people everywhere. I do. I do. Not right. I don't have a lot of out of state athletes right now because I like to be in front of people. I like seeing you in your eyes. I like hugging people. Sorry, maybe I should. (laughs) (laughs) I just like being around my athletes. So it's very important to me to have that interaction with them. Um, But yes, I do coach. I have coached people across, you know, the United States in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a wealth of information and this was incredibly insightful and we're super grateful to have you. Thanks so much for having me. Your podcast is the best. I love listening (laughs) to it. We're still working on it. (laughs) (laughs) You're so good together. Truly. And I'm just, I'm grateful for both of you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Renee. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too.